September 8th, 2022, in Masechet Sanhedrin, and Daf Kofhe Amud Bet, if you count from the top of the page, 10 lines down, the fourth word on the line. It says the Gemara Ela, Mai, what does it mean when the Pasuk says about Bil'am, that he knew the thoughts of the heavens, or of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, answers the Gemara, Shehaya Yodea Lechaven Ota He was able to determine, to locate, and tap into that moment at which HaKadosh Baruch Hu has anger of sorts. It's this which the Navi Micha meant when he said to Am Yisrael, Ami, Zechor na mayaatz balak melech moav, ume ana oto bilam ben beor min hashitim ad hagilgal, lemaan daat sitkot adonai. The Pasuk says, You should remember my nation, remember what bilam and balak had planned, so that you appreciate, so that you're able to recall the sidakot, the sitkot, the righteous deeds of God to you. Says the Gemara, What does it mean when the Navi, when Micha said, Maya? Quote, Adonai. What does that mean in the Pasuk when he was, re- what was he referring to? These, this Siddiq, the Siddakah of God to Am Yisrael. It's Kivyachol, God expressing to Am Yisrael, De'una. Uh, you should know, you should pay attention, carefully realize, Kama Siddakot, Asiti Imachem. Uh, you should see how many righteous deeds, how many uh, tzedakah activities I did for you. Because during those days, during that time when Bil'am Harasha was looking, when he sought to curse you, that moment in the day, that split second at which you have the potential to tap into the existential reality of cursing a nation, of having God's wrath, quote unquote, be taken out, well, I made certain that that didn't exist during that time. Because if it were to be that I had a certain ka'as during that time, Ilmale over here should have a yod at the end. I'm sure that's what that note is. Yes, uh, there's a difference. Uh, Tosafot writes this in Masech Migila between the word ilmale with an aleph at the end or with a yod at the end. Ilmale with an aleph at the end means ilulo, if not for. Ilmale with a yod at the end means if it were to be. So over here it needs to be if it were to be ilmale with a yod. All right, that's not, not much of a nafkamina. The one nafkamina is the sidurim. We have ilmale uh, in, in the context of the Gemara we learned earlier, Masech Sanhedrin, by Berkat Levana, ilmale over there it should be with a yod as well. Some of the sidurim have it published with an aleph. Okay, anyway, says the Gemara over here, she ilmale ka'asti kolotana yamim, lo nishtayen misoneehem shel Yisrael sarid upalit, said God, kivyachol, through micha hanavita, am Yisrael, had it been, that I was angered, excuse me, that I gave opportunity for the wrath to be expressed for even that split second, there wouldn't be any remnant to Am Yisrael. Bil'am would have had you all wiped out. Hainu bil'am le-bal'ak. And that's what it means when Bil'am expressed to Balak, ma'ekov lo kabo'il, ma'ez'om lo za'am Adonai. He says, how am I going to curse them if God isn't cursing them? And more specifically for our purposes, how could I bring out anger if God isn't angry at them, which means in our context, if God hasn't given the opportunity to tap into a certain wrath, to a certain midah of ka'as of deen. Says the Gemara onward, let's have a derasha or two with regards to this regat, with regards to this 
moment of wrath, this opportunity to tap into that angered expression of existence. The Pasuk says that God has a za'am, has an opportunity for wrath to be expressed every day. How long is that opportunity to tap into that? Rega answers the Gemara. It's just a moment. It's a split second. As I told you, the Gemara Masechet Berachot has. It's a second, it's the amount of time it takes to say rega. As the Pasuk says, Kirega the af, the haron af, the anger of Akadosh Baruch Hu, is opportune for being expressed in rega haim besono ibayit ema. Alternatively, the same idea from a different Pasuk, Ami bo bahadarecha uskor delatecha baadcha havi kimat. Rega od, rega ad, rather, ya'avor za'am. So Pasuk says you should be hiding out. Safeguard yourself for a rega until the za'am, until the anger passes. So the Gemara, okay, I got all that, but emat ratah. When is it that HaKadosh Baruch Hu allows for the expression of this retihav, this anger? Answers the Gemara, bitlat sha'ekamaita. It's in the first three hours of the day. When the crest of a tarnegolet, of a rooster, is whitened, as the Gemara calls Sha'atav, Sha'ata Nameh or Havara, says the Gemara at every time, any moment when you look at a rooster, apparently the crest isn't fully red, it has some white in it. Answers the Gemara, this is what we meant to say. Throughout the day, at any point after those first three hours, uh, you'll find that the crest of the rooster has white in it, but it has streaks of red as well. At the moment, during those first three hours of the day, at that split-second opportunity when we're kind of looking at the rooster and looking for the opportune time, if we were, let there's no streaks of red whatsoever. What's with the rooster? I can't really tell you, but Maharal suggests in this Gemara, as I told you at the end of the class yesterday, that we mention in the Berachot, it's at the end of Masechet Berachot, in Berkot HaShachar, that we express the ability to distinguish, to discern in life, two interpretations, but the more famous one is that the Sechvi is a reference to the Tarnegolet, it's a reference to the cry and to the sound that the Tarnegolet makes, I guess at the time that day breaks, which means to say if you're looking for an existential distinction between one moment and another, you look to the Tarnegolet, it's that in our Gemara as well. What's with the red and the white? Red and white oftentimes mean different things. Probably in our Gemara, it's something along the lines of what we saw earlier at one moment, and mentioned Gemarot elsewhere, a person who brings whiteness to the face of another, it's as if they're spilling their blood, it's as if they're killing them. Of course, it's an expression of embarrassing them. What's the idea of the whiteness? Just say, if you embarrass the person, it's as if you killed them, and whatever the ramifications of that are, of course, you want to avoid that and so forth. But what's the idea of that? The idea of that is that the redness, the blood that we have coursing through our veins, represents our life. The Torah says, when that blood is seemingly gone, when it disappears, it appears for the moment in that split second as if life is gone. It's that which represents in the Tarnegolet the opportunity to tap into 
that almost uh, moment in time, second and split second, where that life, that life source is not automatic. It's not just coursing through the veins of existence. And as a result, I wonder if that's the expression here in the Gemara. The funny thing is, though, that red and white sometimes has different meaning. The Pasuk says in the Navi, imyu hatachem kashani, Right, the pasuk says, if your sins are like red, God promises in Sefer Yeshaya, I'll make them white. White then means almost a midat rachamim. We know from Masechet Yomam, we know the imagery of the Kohen Gadol bring the seir hamishtalech with the lashon shel zehorit. If it were to turn white, it means there was kapara to the people. I wonder if there's something to be included in this expression of the red turning to white, even though it's in the opposite direction as well with regards to the midot of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that interchanging, that mixture, that synthesis of dina and rachamim, it says the Gemara onward with regards to this matter. There was a heretic, who lived in the neighborhood of Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi. The Gemara is going to piggyback on what it just said with regards to those moments in time of wrath when you can curse a person and it'll almost be, not automatically, but you'll be able to express it more in terms of, um, of manufacturing what you're looking for. Yeah, this mean, this heretic, was bothering, was giving pain to Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi. Yomahad one day, nakat tarnegolta, Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, and I think you know where he's going with this, he grabbed a rooster, ve'asar le'bekar'eh, and he, he tied up its legs. Why'd he tie up the legs? So that he'd be able to watch it. Roosters move around all the time. He wanted this to be stationary, set in place. So he tied up the legs of the rooster, ve'otiv, and then he sat next to it. And he's waiting for the moment at which the crest of the rooster turns fully white. At that moment, he's going to take out his wrath and tap into that existential wrath and opportunity on this heretic who's been driving him crazy for some reason or another. When that moment, when that time came, excuse me, I messed it up. Amar, he said, he said to himself, when that time comes, I will curse him. That's Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi saying to himself, and say it out loud, he said to himself, when the moment comes, when I see it turn white, I'll get a curse him. Oh, indeed, the time came, and we're ready for the, the situation, the circumstance. Nimnim, Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi fell asleep. Uh, says the Gemara, Yoshua ben Levi takes a certain message from this. Not Nihush, not that he's a sorcerer and he says it was God speaking to me, but rather, as Harambam writes at the beginning of the Chotaniyot, when things happen to us, we're supposed to internalize it. We're supposed to say, what does that teach me about who I am, about what I can be? Amar, Shema'mina, says Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, I can at the very least learn for myself from this. Lav orah ara, orah ara means derecheres. This is not the appropriate way to act. In other words, I shouldn't be waiting to curse another. I shouldn't be seeking the circumstance situation to curse another. I don't know how he would deal with it. The Gemara doesn't tell us. Maybe he's going to make peace. Maybe he's going to avoid him. But the, regardless, he understands it's inappropriate for me to be cursing him. Dichtiv gam anosh la sadik lotob, as the pasuk 
Pasuk says in Sefer Mishle, even for a righteous person, a tzaddik, to be, uh, to be anosh, to be punishing others, lotov. Oftentimes it's inappropriate. There are other ways of affecting change. Afilu bimine, even when I'm dealing with heretics. Says the Gemara onward, Afilu bimine la iba'ayet le memar Says the Gemara, um, says the Gemara, even for, even with regards to heretics, it's inappropriate to say this. Says the Gemara, Tanami shemeder bimeir, bimeir with regards to these three hours, gave another we said it's the first three hours in the day. We said how to determine that it's the moment, it's when the crest turns white. It's when the sun is shining in these first three hours. If you're looking for that moment when the crest is turned white, it's the kings who would wake up a little bit later within those first three hours. They have their crowns on their head. And they're bowing and worshiping the sun. It's at that moment that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is angered. There's several things to be made of the statement of Rabbi Meir. First and foremost, Rabbi Meir is explaining that this moment of anger is not just heke, God gets angry, it's an angry, uh, vengeful God, that's not what it is. He attributes it to the wrongdoing of humanity. He says, you want to know when those moments, when that moment is on a daily basis? It's when Avodah Zarah is rampant, at the moment where it's the most in your face worship against God, that's the moment to tap into, you know, quote unquote, God's anger. So that's what's with regards to Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Meir is consistent with that throughout. Rabbi Meir's understanding of our own responsibility with regards to existence, not attributing it to, I don't know, God is like this or God is like that. God's response to existence is based on human beings' behavior. What's with the sun, the worship of the sun? Maybe it's at night when they're worshiping the galaxies and the stars and so forth. The sun very often in Avodah Zarah land, in Egypt, for example, in the eyes of the Hakamim, certainly is representative of the source. Right, the sun is the source of light to the moon, and as a result, to envision the sun as the source is to see that as the uh, as the barrier, or as the opponent of Hakadosh Baruch Hu, the true God. If you're worshiping the moon, well, you're already understanding. My God is a little bit deficient. When you're looking to the sun and saying that the sun is a deity, you're seeing that as an opponent, as something that stands apart from God. That's the worst. What's that? The same moment the Jews pray for the next Hamad. Similar time worth praying next Hamad. The Gemara Masech Berachot has a, a similar statement along those lines. Not to worship. They're not supposed to be worshiping it. Not, not through them. We're supposed to be. I mean, maybe in in Bereshit story that they're, that they're going to be Moshel Bayomu Ben Laila. Right? They're going to be in some way. Uh, uh, they have monarchy. They have kingship of the day and the night. It's never for worship. There's always a strict prohibition for all the non-Jews to determine time. But that's distinguishing. We determine it based on moon. They determine it based on sun. But there's a fine line over here. I mean, the Egyptian society that we know are worshiping the sun. To worship the sun is altogether, we never, what's that? 
it's that uh, apparently, I, I mean, it, this is a reality the Hachamim are describing, it's at the first moments of sun when the kings are waking up because they start their day with their worship to the king. They're a little bit late to it. It's when the sun is already up. I mean, that's, you see, responding to Charlie, it's not exactly Netzah Hamad. It's after Netzah Hamad. Shaloshaot. It's within Shaloshaot. Says the Gemara, well, let's continue with the Dirashot with regards to Bil'am, a famous Dirashah. Vayakum Bil'am Baboker Vayahavoshet Atonol. Pasuk says that Bil'am woke up in the morning and he saddled his donkey. Tana mishum Bishimon ben Elazar, a seemingly unnecessary detail. That's what the Hachamim are picking up on. All right, that he woke up in the morning and he saddled his... I know we're going to need to know that he had his donkey. Who cares that he woke up in the morning? Why is it necessary to tell me he saddled his donkey? Ahava mevatelet shura. So we learn from this that ahava, uh, love has a way of being it'll annul the straight line, which means to say the standard way of practice is to wake up at a normal time, and if you're an important person, to have someone else saddling your donkey. If, alternatively, you're so lustful, you're so excited about doing something, you wake up super early for it. You can't even sleep late. You don't have the ability. And you saddle it yourself. I'm excited. I'm going out. I don't want someone else packing my bags. I'm going out. I'm so... I, I, can't, I can't restrain myself. Where do we learn that from? Well, first and foremost, Shil Gidullah Me Abraham. We learn that with regards to greatness from Abraham. Of course, the Pasuk describes in an almost identical way by Akedat Yitzhak and he too saddled his donkey. Of course, he's setting out on a mission to uh, worship HaKadosh Baruch Hu through what he believes is to slaughtering his son. You should know, you should know that that's Ahava with regards to the lust for, of love HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It knocks out the straight line of Gidullah, of greatness that the person has in, in, on their own from, from Abraham. But Sinah, hatred as well, the lustful passion to go against something can be mevatelet shura shel gedulah as well. It could be knocking out that straight line of greatness which Bil'am himself could have had. Mi Bil'am sheneemar vayakum Bil'am baboker vayahavosh et atono. I collapsed two interpretations in the Gemara into one. And some interpret the Gemara that the critical line is the fact that they're waking up early in the morning. Others interpret it as them saddling their donkey on their own. Either way you slice it, it amounts to the same thing. It's just a question of the citation of the Pesukim by Abraham. The Gemara never mentioned that part of it. But ultimately speaking, it's that both Bil'am and Abraham similarly are driven by a passion. They're both important people. They have a shura shel gedulah. They could be acting on their line of greatness. Instead, they let the ahava or the sinav hakadosh baruch of their mission at hand be mevatel anol and do away with their regular and normal activities. Amar of Marav, the Gemara now has an even more famous statement, but not in this context. Usually cited in Masechet Perachot, and several play Masechet Pesachim and Dafnun in different contexts, in a different way. Le'olam means at all times, at all times a person should involve themselves, uh, be immersed in Torah and mitzvah, even if it's for the wrong intentions. Now the Gemara doesn't define what wrong intentions is, we'll have to figure that out, but why should you be involved in the wrong intentions? I thought 
that we have to have. Libenu lashamayim. Our hearts need to be focused and directed to heaven. Shemitoch shelo lishma balishma. The permissibility, the permission is granted to do it shelo lishma because the vision is that will set you on a track to come lishma. In other words, even if you started off with the wrong intentions, by involving yourself, by hanging out with the right people, by doing the right activities, you'll ultimately speaking the promise, the vision of Rav Yudah in the name of Rav is, come to do it lishma. How do you see that? What does it have to do with our issue? You should know that in merit of the 42 sacrifices that Balak brought as he's bringing Bil'am around or as Bil'am is bringing him around, he had a descendant named Rut. It was in merit, says the Gemara, says Rav Yudah Marav, and of the korbanot that he sacrificed. How do you know that Rut came out of him? Amar Biyoseh Barhuna, Rut, Bitoshel Eglon, Ben Benoshel Balak Melech Moav Hayeta. A few more generations included in there, but the tradition that we have is that Rut is a descendant of Eglon Melech Moav, who was a descendant of Balak Melech now here's the, the difficulty with regards to the statement in the Gemara. The Gemara Masechet Berachot and Daf Yodzayin has a statement in the name of Rav Yudah Marav that a person who learns Torah Shelo Lishma, Noah Lo Shelo Nivra, it would have been better had he not been created. That's uh, a crazy statement, but that's the statement. If you're studying Torah Shelo Lishma, Noah Lo Shelo Nivra. Alternatively, Noah Lo Yato Al Panav is another statement that it would have been better that the placenta be messed up and you not be born. But it amounts to the same thing. You shouldn't be immersed in Torah and Mitzvot Shelo Lishma. On the other hand, as we le- learned over here, as the Gemara and Masechet Pesachim and Dafnun has it, Le'olam Ya'asok Adam Torah Mitzvot Shelo Lishma, Shemitoch Shelo Lishma, Balishma. So which one is it? Tosafot Masechet Berachot distinguish between two types of shelolishma. So there are types of shelolishma that's appropriate if you're doing it for self-honor, if you're doing it for grandeur. Uh, if you're doing it, you want to be known as a rabbi, you want to be known as the one who's knowledgeable, the one who's pious, all right, it's not ideal, but do it. Ultimately speaking, you won't be harming others. That's talking about if you're doing it, lekanter means to put down others. You're using Torah and mitzvot as a way, as a method of knocking out others with your newfound grandeur and and. And, uh, and position. That's the distinction that Tosafot sets forth. Harambam has something similar in one of his Teshubot. The difficulty, as Maharshan, Masechet Horayot at the end on Dafyod points out, is from our Gemara. Our Gemara over here is talking about Balak. Balak is bringing sacrifices. What's the purpose of the sacrifice? It's to knock out Am Yisrael. It's not for his self-grandeur. It's not for his greatness. So we shouldn't be saying, uh, It's a question on that distinction of Tosafot. Maharshan, what's that? Crazy thing. It's a fascinating, crazy thing, which, which needs an explanation of itself. What's the connection over there, uh, which maybe we'll return to, and we should, re- we should begin the class with tomorrow. But Maharsha at the very least suggests that Balak, although yes, his ultimate vision is to curse Am Yisrael, he's doing it, he tells us, that we find this out at the beginning of Parashat Balak, because he fears for his own life. He fears for his own life 
So to a certain extent, he's doing it for himself. He sees the only vision, the only direction as cursing them in order to ward them off. But it's not per se that he needed to prop himself up by knocking them down. He's doing it for his own safety because he fears Am Yisrael. Maybe that would be, suggests Maharsha, a permitted Shilolishma. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen.